Sometimes I really enjoy these kind of times because what it does is I get to pick some things that I feel like are good for us to hear. Sometimes I can pick something that's good for us to rehear, or maybe it's something new, but it's this idea that between series, as we're looking at different, studying different books of the Bible, I have just a little bit of time where I can talk about some things I think are good for us to, to address or remember, or that type of thing. Type of thing. And so we're going to uh, talk about kingdom love, and I have totally missed it. And, and yes, thank you. He's helping me. Good. Um, now, when we talk about kingdom love, what, first thing I want to say is um, I love, I love uh, Les Miserables. I love the book. I love the movie. There's an earlier movie, I think, from the 70s or 80s with Liam Nielsen that's, that's really good. The, the, the uh, musical is great. But I, I love because in that, this idea of, of uh, we see a, a kind of things compared. We see law versus grace. We see hatred versus love. We see uh, a hopelessness in life versus a purpose in life, and it's interesting because the hopelessness in life, um, uh, Victor Hugo portrays it on, kind of on both sides of the story. It, with uh, with Javert, the, the the policeman who's so interested in law, 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 he finally ends his life because he sees the hopelessness of trying to live under law. In fact, he has this great line where he says, "A life must, someone must die. A life must end." You know, he says like that, and he kills himself rather than killing Jean Valjean. And, but also we see the hopelessness in life in, in, in the barricades when we see, see these, the, the rebellion going on and they get together and they sing the night before the battle in the tavern, you know, drink with me. How that goes? Yeah. Anybody seen it? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, good. Good. I was just like, a drink with me. And everybody's like, like that. No, I don't like that. Well, and if you, if you, if you listen to that song, they start saying, if I die... Was it worth it? Is my life worth anything? Will anyone remember me? Is there anything more than this? They start, it gets, it's very dark. It starts out kind of as this wonderful song as they're remembering, and then all of a sudden it takes this dark turn, you know? And so in, that, in the movie and in the book, I love this thing that these things are portrayed because this leads me into 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Now, I know you're saying, hey, we did 1 John not that long ago. Okay, I'm going, this is, we're going in a little bit of a different tack, so don't, don't worry that you're going to hear a sermon you've already heard. He says in verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There is a love that actually what it does is it it puts value into the object that is being loved. Typical love or desire is to draw value. I see someone that I think will help me, so I become friends with them. I see someone that I think can do something for me, make me feel better, so I become friends or I love them. But there's a love that sees something and puts the value into the thing. Let me give you an illustration of that. This is a teddy bear. 
This is my wife's teddy bear. She has had this since she can remember having a teddy bear. So I'm handling it very gently because this has intense meaning for her. One time after we'd first gotten married, I noticed this teddy bear would be on her pillow when she made the bed, and then we'd come in at night, and there would be this teddy bear had been there all day. And so thinking that I was a witty, funny guy, I had this little knife, and I said, nobody moves or the bear gets it. The room grew dark. My, my wife, her eyes rolled back in her head, and her head went one time around, and there was this deep voice, put that bear down, or I will rip your face off. And I said, but it's just an old beat-up teddy bear, Bev. I'll get you a new one. That was one of the stupidest things I've ever said in my whole life. My wife questioned my intelligence. She said, are you the stupidest person in the world or are you imitating the stupidest person in the world by saying that I don't want your stupid new bear. This is my bear. Don't you mess with it. She questioned my manhood. She questioned my parentage. Her love for this beautiful but raggedy bear with no eyes, no mouth, just the thread that held the nose on is left. All the fur is worn off. It has had multiple operations to reattach its head or other parts of its body or to restuff it. This bear that to some people, not me, would seem ugly. <laughs> this bear is beautiful. This bear has incredible worth to my wife. This is when love creates value in an object that would not normally be loved. For most of you, if you were walking down the street and you saw this bear laying in the gutter, you wouldn't go, oh. You'd go, yeah, somebody threw that thing away, right? You wouldn't but to my wife, this is an more important than me. This is how important this bear is. I'm putting it down very gently. Good boy, good boy. Um, or girl, I'm not sure. Um, there's a kind of love. There is a kind of love that seeks value in the thing that it loves for itself. It's saying I love it because it gives me something. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel better about myself. And there is a kind of love that is drawn to an object or a person because it wants to instill value in it. So there's a love that says, you're attractive, I will love you. You're expensive, I'm attached to you. You're important, I think a lot of you. You give me status, I want you around me. You make me feel good, so I want you here with me. There's that kind of love. And then there's a kind of a love that seeks the value. It creates it in the thing that is love. So, when we talk about this world, there are two kingdoms in this world. The Bible talks about this a lot, and Jesus talks about this a lot. There is the kingdom of this earth. Oh, I didn't think about writing. Earth. Kingdom of this earth. There it is. I hope you can read that. There's the kingdom of this earth, all right? We know about this kingdom because we all live in this kingdom. It's my kingdom. It's your kingdom. It's the kingdom we're accustomed to. And the, and the love in this kingdom typically is the kind of love 
that wants to get value from things. What can you do for me? For many people here, you walk into a room. Maybe if you're single, you walk into a room and there's 20 or 30 people. What do you do? You start parsing people out by who you would might like to ask out for a date. And in doing that, you eliminate two-thirds, three-quarters of the people there, maybe nine-tenths of the people there, and you base it on just one thing, just one thing, physical attraction. That's all you base it on. And if there's anything we know, and obviously we know this intellectually, it's the problem is we don't always know it internally and in our lives, to base a relationship on that is ridiculous. It cannot last just based on that. And so what is it you're doing? You're saying, ah, I think you're attracted. You, you, would, you would give me value. So I'll talk to you. Or maybe you go into a room and there's all these people, and, and I, I have done this before, been in a room with a lot of important people, and have somebody come up to me, and they say, hey, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a pastor of a church. Really? How interesting. I've got to get something to drink. And they go off. Why? Why? Because they didn't perceive me as being able to enhance their value. So they're not interested in talking to me. And listen, before I get to on my high horse, I can do the same thing. Pastors can do this all the time, right? Pastors, it's very seductive. Somebody comes up and somebody tells them, yeah, they, they're very rich. Oh, well, let me talk to them. What am I doing? I want to, de- I want to derive value from that person. I want to take value. I want, it, I want it to come to me. And see, the kingdom of this earth is marked by this. It's marked by desire. It's marked by this, seeking value in something for yourself. And then we have what we would call the kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. All right? I'll try to write it a little more, but I get tired of writing. Kingdom of heaven. All right? And what is that marked by? It's marked by that kind of love that brings value to something. We talked about this just a minute ago when we were singing. What happened? God created value in our lives. He has declared us as followers of Jesus Christ holy. He's declared us righteous. He says now we are partakers of His glory. What an incredible thought. We have incredible value. And yet that value is very humbling to us. Why? Because I realize I didn't earn it. It was given to me. I have no right to be proud of it. And that's very key for us to remember because the gospel lifts us up and it keeps us under control, kind of keeps us down in a sense at the same time. It exalts us and humbles us at the same time. I was reading a, an article by a guy. He, uh, he's a professor at Columbia University. This was a, not too long ago. Like, it was a while ago. Anyway, um, yeah, Professor Del Barco, and he was studying. He was studying AA meetings. He was studying AA and how it worked, and 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 why did it seem to work, and different things like that. So he would sit in on meetings, and he writes. He he writes one time that he was in this meeting, and this man got up, and he obviously was a very well had been a very wealthy and powerful man, and he got up and he started saying, "Well, I had this great company, and blah blah blah, but I lost it all. I lost it all because there was two guys below me that were crooks, and da da da." da. And he explained away how he lost everything. And then he said his marriage, and he says, my wife, my wife was so terrible. Da-da-da-da. And he explained away how. And so then he started getting into, he started uh, getting into alcohol. And he says, it's because of, you know, this, this, hit, this person and this person, this person, my life. And they dragged me down. And then he started, ended up stealing. He tried to, uh, tried to bilk some people out of money. And he said, the reason is because of that person and that person. 
And all of a sudden, Delbarco's saying, all of a sudden he's realizing, and everyone in the whole circle there is realizing, this guy has an excuse for everything he's done. And then, and then this guy next to him is dressed kind of raggedy, you know, and just, just kind of leaned over to him and said, you know, I used to be like that till I achieved the freedom of low self-esteem. And he kind of looked at him, and he said, this, this is the thing, he realized, he realized, it's not everybody else's fault. I'm not the greatest person in the world. I have to take ownership, and that hurts. And he says, and that, that freed me. That freed me. Because his point was, this man is going to, he is going to be entrapped by this until he finally comes to realize it's his fault too. And so, we have this, these two kingdoms that are going on. Kingdom of earth, which is grabbing value. And the kingdom of heaven, which is creating value. And these two things are going on. And Jesus said, he said this, he said, down here, love seeks value. It wants to get it and grab it from people. Um, And we grew up, we see all this. People, the desire they have. Everybody here knows about this. It's not something I have to talk about too much. We grow up and we see some people and we we look up to them. People who are bright, people who are attractive, people who are talented people who are well-coordinated, the athletic, people who get most of the good stuff. They have all the good stuff. And then we have these people that get trashed down here. People who are not important enough or successful enough or smart enough or attractive enough or impressive enough. And we can be that way. We're constantly trying to convince people, I'm smarter than you think. I'm better than you. I'm I'm more attractive than you think I am. And why do we do this? Because we want to be loved. And it happens everywhere. And unfortunately, it can really happen in churches. It can really happen in churches. And I can struggle with it. You know, I, I constantly want to remind you guys, I'm up here teaching because God has gifted me in this. I'm not up here teaching because I'm better than you. That is not true. Pastors can struggle with things that would, you know, you would be so disappointed in me. The other day, I was talking to a guy, and he just said, How's your church doing? Now, that's a tough question. That's a loaded question, right? How is your church? First of all, I don't like the your, because it's not my church. It's not my church. I'm, I'm a member here just like everybody else. I, I have something that God wants me to do here just like he has something he wants you to do here. So it's not my church. But the problem is, because what it does is it brings up all those, those kind of earthly things of saying, I want to say, well, we're oh, <laughs> We're blowing the place out, and, you know, there's a, thousands are coming forward. You know, I feel like Billy Graham. And, and, and I, I'm tempted to say that. I'm not tempted to tell about maybe negative things. I'm not, te- I'm not tempted to say, yeah, well, there's a family that left, and I really love them, and I hate that they're gone. It breaks my heart. I don't want to share that. Why? Because that's not upbeat and good, and it doesn't, it doesn't achieve, doesn't show the kind of success that our world judges success by. Because our world judges success by certain things. Even in churches, we, 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 we gauge success by things that the world tells us is true, but the Word of God never, ever talks about. And so when someone says, how's your church doing? You know, I'm thinking, oh, man... I know this person goes to a big church, like a church of like 500, 800. So I'm thinking, uh, my church is running 2,000 now. Because I figure if you're going to lie, just go big or go home, right? 
course, then they're going to say, well, I want to come visit. I was, oh, well, we got 12 services. So <laughs> that's how it is. Now, it, you know, it, it, and pastors struggle with it. Everyone struggles with it, right? We struggle with that. We look at people and we judge what success is. And this is all the kingdom of this earth. It's all based on this. It's all based on this. I love things that will make me feel better about myself. Let me tell you something. If you're in a relationship with somebody, be careful. I mean, you can say things sometimes, but understand what you mean when you say them. Because sometimes, like if I do premarital counseling and, 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 and somebody says, well, she makes me feel so good. I'm like, crap. What happens the day she doesn't make you feel good? All right? It's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. And we all play the same game. Let me impress you. Please value me. We score it differently. We may, we may score by money or achievements or resume or the kind of house you have or the kind of car you drive or your wardrobe or how you look or your talents. But we all play the same game. And the real name of that game is I want to be loved. I want to be valued. That's the name of it. We're, and, and, and that's not wrong. We're built that way. But we find our greatest love and we find our greatest value in Jesus Christ. And everybody knows, you can see it when you see people playing that game. Two-year-olds do it and CEOs do it because it's a part of our human heart. It's a part of our nature. I want to be loved. And I want to tell you a secret. Everybody here, every person around you, we are all raggedy. We are all raggedy. There's nobody here that's got it all together. Some are a little more ragged than others, but we are all raggedy. And no matter how hard we work and how high we climb, we will never escape the raggedness that's in us apart from Jesus Christ. The biblical writers have a name for that raggedness. It's called sin. It's this uh, verse in, in, in uh, 60, Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. It's like in that song, in the song in Les Miserables, wondering, what happens when I die? I mean, is, it really, is this really worth it? Does anyone care that I'm sacrificing my life for this cause? And he says, we all shrivel up. We all, it, it ends that way for us. Everybody is like someone who is unclean. And the stuff that we can get so puffed up about, the stuff that when we get puffed up about it, what happens? We tend to become judgmental. We tend to become self-righteous in how we deal with other people. And it becomes like filthy rags. And the problem down here with this kingdom that we're in, the kingdom of this earth, is the problem is our heart. It's the human heart. So Jesus came to bring up there, down here, to us. He came to bring another kind of love. He came to bring this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which is a ceaseless eternal kingdom, which is a delightful kingdom. It started with God. It started in the servant love in the Trinity, and God has brought it down to us. I was reading the other day uh, about a, a children's class, and, and, and a teacher uh, was asking the kids, you know, how do you know someone loves you? And this one little kid, I thought this was brilliant, this one little kid said, when someone loves you, you can tell by the way they say your name. It's different. 
I love that line. And then the next line this kid said was, the kid said, when someone loves you, the, the way they say your name is different. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. That's an awesome thought. When I was a little kid, everyone called me Bobby. And when my mom came to the door and yelled, Bobby, come in for dinner, I knew my name was safe in her mouth. When she said, Robert Mosley, okay, then I knew I'm walking a tenuous line here. I'm getting on some thin ice. But then the biggie came. Robert Ellington Mosley, get in this house. Come in. Boom, I'm off like a shot. See you, fools. Yes, my name is, my middle name is Ellington. Yes, yes. Named after a famed musician. You should look him up. I'm a lot like him. Um, why did I? Okay. I knew, okay, this, now's not safe time. Right? Now's not safe time. Jesus brought up there down here. And he went around and he said the names of people who would usually get trashed. And those names were safe in his mouth. The name of prostitutes or lepers. The name of a tax collector named Zacchaeus, who everyone despised. He probably had not been spoken to by a fellow countryman in years in a nice way with his name. Because he was a traitor to his country and to his God. And with Jesus, his name was safe in his mouth. The zealots who hated the Romans and the Romans who hated the zealots. Jesus came out and loved both of them. And that's what got him into so much trouble. And so here John writes in, in verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. He says, this is love. This is love. Not that we love God. Not that we love God. He's telling us this is love that God's loved us and sent his son for us. There is, oh boy, am I going to show my age now. There's an old song. It's from a musical called Showboat. Um, but, yay, good, some people. But, uh, and there's a song in it, but, uh, but uh, Ella Fitzgerald took this song, and it's, it's amazing what she did with it. But it goes like this. <laughs> oh, gosh. Fish gotta swim. Birds gotta fly. I'm going to love that man till I die. So fish got to swim. Why? You put a fish in water, a fish swims because it's its nature. A bird's got to fly. You put a bird up in the air, it's going to fly. Why? Because it's nature. And what is she saying? It is my nature to love this man till I die. And so that's God's song. It goes on. It's like this. I, I can't believe I'm doing this. Tell me he's lazy. Tell me he's slow. Tell me I'm crazy. Maybe I know. Can't help loving that man of mine. There you go. All right? So. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> when I was studying this a little bit this week, I put, don't sing it, Bob. Just say the words. <laughs> This is the ultimate expression of God's love 
for mankind. Got to love that man till I die. Till I die. That kind of love. What a God. And that's why for 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, the central image, the central expression of the people of Christ has been finding a marker. No. Has been a cross. A cross that was the bridge that brought here to here. This is the cost of making up there come down here. Jesus knew that it would be. It was his way. And maybe you don't understand everything about the cross or some of the things I don't understand at all either. We never will. There's a mystery to it. But the cross is the ultimate expression of how much God loves you. Jesus spent his whole life manifesting and teaching about this kind of love. In John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That's what he did at the cross. God forgives sin. He gives a clean conscience. He starts transformation. Up there, coming down here, he transforms us into people who love, who love things that have, in the world's eyes, no value. I mean, one of the things I love is the times where we help out with the port homeless ministry. Because if ever there are people that have no value in the eyes of our culture, it is homeless people. They have no value. You, you watch, if you ever, you, you watch sometimes if a homeless person, obviously a homeless person, walks into a store or walks into 7-Eleven, you will see, you will see people subtly move away. Real subtle, but they just kind of move. They keep their distance. It's, it's, it's like automatic. It's like this, this, this amount of distrust. And Jesus said, I've come so that you can not grab value. You can create value. We, ha- we have another one coming up in March that we're going to participate in. And when we treat people with respect who are disrespected every day of their life, and when we feed them, and when we give them a good night's sleep, and we feed them in the morning, and we, and we talk to them like human beings, it is a refreshing moment in their life. It's the one time in their day when people treat them like human beings, we create value by loving. And so what happens? Jesus died on the cross to bring up there, down here, so that now this revolution, we're a part of a revolution of love that is going around and creating value in places where no one sees value. And Jesus says, if you've received this love, do it. If you have not received this love, he says, receive it. Confess your raggedness and your need for forgiveness. Accept his cleansing. Come to the cross. People have been doing this for 2,000 years. People are doing this this morning all over the world. And so he says, I I have a request for you. If you're following me, it's in verse 11, the very beginning of verse 11. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, now, think about what you would expect this to say. Uh, at least this is how I am. I would expect this to say, since God so loved me, I need to love him. Since God so loved us, we should love him. But notice he doesn't say that. Look what it says in verse 11, the next, next one. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He goes, this is what I want here. Yes, we're supposed to. I mean, loving God is a part of it. But he's saying, here's my commandment. Love people. Create value in their lives. 
Find the person that's hard to get along with in your life and love them. Find the person that, that is obnoxious in the way they talk and practice listening to them. Probably in the one area where every, they notice, you know, I, I think this hits me because I can be obnoxious. I, I, I was such an obnoxious kid. And I can just remember as a kid getting excited about something and starting to talk about it and, and just babbling on and on. And I could see my parents kind of like going, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm glad you like the movie. Yeah, I don't want to hear the whole movie. I, yeah, Bobby, I don't know. But, and I thought the way you overcome that when they start to lose interest is you talk faster, louder, and more animated, right? So I'm like, no, like that. And they're just like, and I could just see they did not want to listen to what I had to say. They just didn't want to listen to it. And I could see it. And I see it in some of you today. Hey, come on. You're hurting my feelings. No, that's not true. I'm just kidding. You have people like that in your life. And let me tell you something. They know. They know what you think. They see it when you're talking to them and suddenly your shoulders aren't square to them anymore and you're just kind of, oh, okay, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. They see that. They understand that. And I know sometimes that has to happen. I, I don't want to be, you know, huge guilt trip. But I want you to sometimes practice. You're talking to somebody and you're really not interested, but you know you should actually give them the courtesy of listening. Square your shoulders up to them and look them in the face and listen. And listen. And there's a million different things like that. God calls us to create value in people by loving them. So, dear friends, since God so loved us, we all also ought to love one another. Jesus says to you, love my ragged teddy bears. Love them. Because it's a package deal. If you want me, they come along with it. This is a package deal with my wife. This bear is going to outlive both of us. Right? Because at some point, we're going to encase it in plastic or so. I don't know what we're going to do, but it's going to live... And it's a package deal. My wife told me a long time ago, if you love me, this dude's in it. And I'm good with that. And Jesus says, you want to love me? Okay, all these people, they're in it. They're my children. Love them. Down here on the kingdom of this earth, people get trashed all the time. You see it all the time. It's going on all around us. We see it in the news. We see it in our world, nations trashing nations, people trashing people, corporations trashing corporations, people mocking other people. When somebody doesn't satisfy my desires, then I trash them too. It happens every day. And God says, you want to know what breaks my heart? That's it. Don't love somebody. If you want to break the heart of God, find a raggedy bear person and don't love them and it crushes him. Ignore them. Look the other way. Belittle them. Gossip about them. Find somebody who's walking down the wrong, wrong road, and you know it's going to be destructive, and decide not to say anything. Just let them go. Find someone that you've, has hurt you and hold a grudge. It breaks God's heart. You know, it's a funny thing to me, because I've been around the church for a long time. And it's interesting how the church is scandalized by certain sins. We are scandalized when there's financial misconduct. A lot of church leaders get into trouble for financial misconduct. 
We're scandalized when it's sexual sins. A lot of church leaders get into big trouble when they're involved in sexual sins. But what's funny to me is we're not scandalized by lovelessness. I've never heard of a guy who was fired from a church and they said he just didn't love people enough. Because that didn't seem that bad to people. They'll find something else. But Jesus is scandalized when people don't love. It floors him. He says, how could this be? How can someone who has been so loved has so much love, glory, and worth in their life. How can they not be loving? He can't understand it. It kills him. You know, there was a time when a ragged group of people got it. They were so overwhelmed by Jesus' love, they formed this little community, and they, they took in any ragged person who came along. In Acts 2, it talks about it. They, were de- they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the apostles' teaching, well, who were the apostles teaching about? They're teaching about Jesus, right? So they were focusing on Jesus, and they devoted themselves. I love this word devoted, all right? I, I don't, it, it, it's, a good, it's a great word. It's, it's, it's proskar, pros, Sorry, proskar tereo is the, is the Greek. And it's a, it's a kind of a combination of words. It's in the paraphrastic active imperfect. Does that help? Okay, right. Well, actually, it really does. This is why grammar is so important. The paraphrastic is this interesting little way of saying something, of adding a little ending that enhances the continuing nature of the activity. So it says they were devoted, and having the paraphrastic in the devoted means they were devoted, and they were devoted, and they were devoted, and they were devoted. It, it, it's, it's this idea that they were, um, it's the idea of a quality of devotion and an idea of quantity of devotion at the same time. So it was quantity and quality, their devotedness. They said, basically, to the apostles, tell us what Jesus said about possessions, and we will act on it. Tell us what Jesus said about relationships. Tell us what Jesus said about forgiveness. Nothing had been written when this was first starting out. Tell us what Jesus says about forgiveness and grace and mercy. We'll do it. Just tell us. This is what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Help us to understand what he said. And when they found out what he said, they did it. Now, the early church was not perfect. We tend to play that up like the early church. It was not perfect. It had its share of problems. But one of the things was they got that. They lived it. They prayed it. They prayed, God, make up there, come down here in my neighborhood. Make, make up there, come down here in my school, where I work, in my county, in Newport News, in Hampton, in my job, where people are getting trashed all the time, where raggedy, raggedy people get thrown in the gutter all the time, get thrown in the trash all the time because no one cares about them. Okay, God, make up there, come down here. Let me be a part of that. I want to do it. And so they devoted themselves to meeting together. They gathered together to worship, just like we're doing here. We're doing something that has been done for 2,000 years. The early believers did just this. There's a... Um, there's a Roman his, uh, uh, historian, and he, and he was a governor. His name was Pliny the Younger. Um, he wrote about, he was, he was in the middle of a crackdown, a persecution of Christians. And in torturing some Christians, he said, I've put together what they do every morning on the first day of the week. And he said, they get together and they sing. They sing praises to this man, Jesus, because they think he's a god. 
And then they learn what he has said. Now you think about that. That's what we do. That's what goes on here. For 2,000 years, Christians have been doing this. Singing and worshiping. Learning from his word. Fellowshipping together. And people gave their lives for that back then. And still do today. And so they devoted themselves, the early Christians, where they saw a need. They took their possessions. They shared. John tells us that no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. We actually see Him. In fact, in, in, in Les Miserables, at the very end, it says, uh, Jean Valjean says, to love another person is to see the face of God. No one has seen God, but you will see God in the lives of people who are loving. That's where you see God. That's what, that's what God, that's what he's like. That's what he loves. And so the thing is then, are we willing to do that? Because we have to stop and think, what am I devoting my life to? That word devoting from Acts 2.42, what am I devoting my life? Quantity and quality, what, what is my devotion? What am I devoting my life to? And only you can answer that. I can't tell you that. I do know this. It could be money. It could be a career. It could be a reputation. It could be just keeping yourself busy so you don't think about the hard things. And God's saying, I want you to change your devotion because there's a kind of love. There's a kind of love that looks for value so that you can get value from it. But then there's a love that says, no, I will impart value. I will value this person simply out of love. And right now, you may be aware of wounds that you're carrying around because somebody didn't say something they should have said or somebody said something they shouldn't have said or they've done something to you that they shouldn't have done. It might be a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister. It might have been a spouse or a friend. It could be any number of things where you've been hurt deeply. I mean, this is, this is why I'm so excited about this this Sunday morning uh, class, you're going to call it, that, that Dr. McSwain's going to put on. Because it's going to deal with those things and how to, how to work through them. Because if you're carrying a wound in your heart, it needs to be dealt with. And God wants you to see there's another kind of love. Because what you're so hungry for and what you desire so much cannot be found down here. It can only be found in Christ, through Jesus Christ. When we come to him and confess and ask for forgiveness and decide to move in a different direction, he says that love can begin to work in your life. And I can see times in my life, I can see times even now, where I can get devoted to something that I shouldn't be devoted to. And I want to change. And I think for all of us, maybe today, you know, sometime today, when you're just by yourself, maybe not by yourself physically, but you just have a quiet moment, just saying, God, I want to be devoted to loving you. I want to be devoted to loving people. I want everything else to come in second after that. I'm going to decide right here, right now, God, I want to be devoted to you. And when you do that, he says, that's when the freedom comes. And the cool thing about this freedom is the freedom to love others in a way you couldn't have done before. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage from 1 John and the truth that's in it. Help us, help us as your followers to show that love, to model it, 
not to try to find worth in things, but to give worth to things, to give love, to give value to things, to people who need it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take an offering. Uh, just want to say, if you are a guest, please don't feel compelled to give. This is what our regular tenders and our members do as a part of their worship. Thanks.